Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel America's number one sports book is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. All right, this is a special edition of Film Study with Ken McCusick because in just a few days, Ray Lewis gets into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. His 17 career years, all with the Ravens, it's something pretty special. So, Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. It's, it's fun to talk about Ray Lewis because 17 years is, means he has impacted multiple generations of Raven fans. Yeah, I think that's true. I think a generation is probably shorter for football fans, or so it seems, because uh, people, you know, come in and out of the game. They they attend the games with with relatives, of course, but they also just just lose interest in the game sometimes. And uh, you, it's funny how many people, you know, now don't remember the first game Ray Lewis played, don't remember his rookie season and whatnot. But they're younger fans, obviously. And you know, I'm an older guy. You're a somewhat younger guy, but you remember his first season, right? Uh, not really. A little bit, but I was not into football at that time. I grew up, you know, grew up in the area without a football team. So I got into the CFL team when they came in and then really had no incline to cheer for an NFL team because at that point in high school, I had grown up with rooting for players instead of teams, which I make fun of people that do that in the baseball world. But without having a team in Baltimore for my childhood, that's how I was for a lot of time. Right. So uh, I grew up a Colts fan, of course, during the 70s. It was it was very important to me. It was terrific to get the Ravens back. In a way, football was dead to me for the 12 years between the Colts and the Ravens. So uh, great, great job. I jumped right on season tickets, of course, when the when the uh, Ravens came back to town, and I still have them. So. Uh, enjoyed every game of Ray's career and want to talk a little bit about it tonight. Yeah, I'm excited because those early Ray years, I wasn't uh, a diehard Ravens fan. I wasn't into them. It took me till about probably the 2000 Super Bowl to really start paying attention to the Ravens and really get invested in. So I'm excited to hear about those early years. I hear about them all the time. I see all the flashbacks and everything. But uh, yeah, I'm excited. So he was drafted in 1996. Yes, drafted 1996 in the in the 26th pick of the first round. Jonathan Ogden was the Ravens' fourth pick overall, and Ray Lewis. There were there were some doubts about him as a rookie. He came in, uh, and honestly, was just a two-down linebacker his first year. He only played 67% of the snaps, even though he played in all but one game. Eric Turner, the free safety, called the signals that year for the Ravens. A lot of people don't know that. But that's the only time that anybody but a Mike linebacker has called the signals for the Ravens in their history. After that, it was Ray for many years. And all of the individual games since, the Ravens have maintained the philosophy that it's easier for the Mike linebacker to make the calls because he's in between the other two levels of the defense and, and can translate those calls more easily. So uh, and that, while some and, other teams have a safety, the Ravens have always right. had a linebacker. And that really came down to the fact that Ray Lewis excelled at that and leading the team so then they just 
naturally kept it in that position until a linebacker proved them wrong, which hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true. And they, they went through some guys who didn't have experience with it. Uh, you know, Bynes had it for a couple games and some other linebackers uh, that, you, you know, wouldn't necessarily be the first guy you'd pick for this thing because you got to stay on the field all the time when you when you have the green dot helmet. It's kind of a requirement of the uh, of the job. So that's one of the reasons that he didn't have it in 1996. But uh, yeah, Benny Thompson would replace Ray in the quarter alignment in passing situations. So he would come in and effectively take over that middle linebacker spot because he was a safety and really a special teams ace. And uh, it was just odd to see Ray on the sideline when I watched the 96 games again and scored those and, and the, the, did the participation by play. But uh, he's out of there on third down most of the time. Well, I mean, he's a, he's a rookie. He's a young guy. I know the team's young, but he is young for the league. Isn't that common? Like, rookies don't play every down, do they? Uh, it it kind of depends on the position. I would say a rookie corner who's starting plays every down. A rookie safety who's starting plays every down. But, but uh, sometimes linebacker. a rookie linebacker will. Sometimes they won't. It okay. really depends on whether they're a two-down guy or a three-down guy. Gotcha. All right, so 96 is rookie year. He's getting his feet wet. 97, he, people start to pay attention to him. Yeah, that's right. Ray made his first Pro Bowl in 1997, and he really emerged as the most prolific tackler in football. So uh, a lot of things happened. And we, we have to have a little sidebar here about how tackle totals were derived in those days because the NFL wasn't counting them officially. They had them in the game books, and there are numbers out there now that are on pro football reference, and they're substantially lower than the Ravens' coaches' tackle totals. Uh, the uh, Ravens gave uh, Ray 210 tackles uh, combined in 1997, and the, the pro football uh, reference, which takes it directly from the game books, only gave him 184. So it gives you an idea that there are some inflated totals. You don't need to inflate Ray's record to make it great. He was the most prolific tackler in the game uh, before and after the methodology switch in these, in these tackles. But anyway, you will see some inflated numbers if you see some of those early years. He had 25 tackles, supposedly, in a game against the Giants at the Meadowlands in the first career road win for the first franchise road win for the team. They won 24-23. Uh, the game book credits him with 21 tackles, but also three passes defensed in this game. And uh, in that second season, he, he became an every-down player, played 99.6% of the snaps, only missed four snaps the entire season, took over the signal calling defensively, and that was really the first year of Ray as we know Ray, the perpetual Pro Bowl player, the every-down player, the guy affecting the run game and the pass game. All right. So very early in his career, he, he was something special. Yeah, we, we certainly knew he was special as early as 96 with the, the interception the first game pulled between Ricky Dudley's legs and the defensive player of the week he won his first game. But, yeah, 97 – he really emerged as a star uh, right. then. So 96, 97, 98, he, he made the Pro Bowl. But the Ravens, during all these years, the Ravens are a bad football team. That's right. So they, they, hadn't, they won four games in 96, six games in 97, six games again, I believe, in 98. And he made the Pro Bowl despite missing a couple games. Uh, he only played 81% of the snaps, lost a little bit of time due to injury in that third season. Uh, he had two interceptions against the Ravens, uh, sorry, against the Bengals in the game at Cincinnati. It's one of only two times, both against the Bengals, he had two interceptions in a game. And I mention it only because in those early years, before 1999 and really before 2000, road wins were very scarce. There were not more than a handful of them total in franchise history before 2000. And uh, that was a nice one to get uh, at Cincinnati. All right. Uh, again, the, the team got to improved a little bit in 99, but we looking back now, what is this, almost 20 years later, the Ravens we look at as a defensive team, and that all started in 1999 with Ray That's Lewis, right. right. That's right. They had the pieces largely in place around them. We have to talk a little bit about the rest of Ravens' history because it's just so intertwined with, with Ray's career, obviously. But they, they never have allowed fewer yards per play than they did in 1999. That's not the, necessarily the best defensive metric, but it's a, it's a metric that people often point to. And 4.1 yards per play that year, and that includes the pass and the runs. They were very yeah, dominant. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, they, they got a, uh, had many of the pieces together that would be there for 2000. Rod Woods and Tony Sirigus and Michael McCrary, they were all there. 
Um, uh, we still had Rob Burnett from the Cleveland days. Uh, Bullware, Sharper, and Lewis were all there. A, a great young set of linebackers at that point. And they had the two great cornerbacks in place, which were really the last pieces that defense need. McAllister and Starks, who would, who would be with the 2000 team. So it was a very talented defense. I think I mentioned Ryder Woodson, but if I didn't, he, he was there as well. And uh, that team was ready to go. And in fact, that team was really robbed by bad quarterback play from making their first appearance that year. Scott Mitchell and Stoney Case played the first six games and effectively eliminated the Ravens before the season got started. They were they were two and four, uh, and they were uniformly awful. Both those guys completed less than 50% of their passes and had a rating under 50. So uh, they were just, just plain awful. Um, and then it did finally appear at the end of that year, though, the Ravens had a four-game winning streak in December, a very dominant four-game winning streak, a 41-14 to win over the Titans at home. We included a play, sorry, inc- uh, was against a team that came within one yard of winning the Super Bowl or of tying the Super Bowl setting to overtime, I guess I should say. But they had big wins during that stretch. They had the team's first shutout. A lot of things were going right for Ray Lewis as 1999 ended. Yeah. And see, this is where... I know you like to stick with things on the field, but the end of 99, the beginning of 2000, before we even get into the 2000 season, uh, he spent a little time down in Atlanta with this yeah, Super Bowl. And, uh, and you can't talk about Ray Lewis without addressing this because this is what the haters are all going to be bringing up this weekend. Yeah, and, you know, Ray made a mistake in judgment. I am fairly certain from all of the evidence presented ray lewis is not guilty of murder he was guilty of obstruction of justice it's something that will be with him for the rest of his life about this i am sure it will get mentioned in various ways this weekend uh we want to celebrate ray and i think ray is a guy who who has made the most out of his opportunity that came after that whereas i can't say that for every player that's ever been in a bad situation where he was you know, you know, had friends who were dragging him downs or had friends who were uh, causing him trouble. Uh, Ray, you know, made a stupid mistake at the time, and uh, and he paid for it. He certainly paid for it reputationally in terms of all sorts of endorsement money. It took him years, really, until about 2003 to get his endorsement situation back in line. And uh, it was amazing that on the field, he was able to turn around in a single season. In fact, in, in 365 days, basically, he had one of the greatest defensive seasons ever. He had one of the great defenses completely around him. He missed only 22 snaps the whole year. He had an amazing playoff run. It's still the greatest individual playoff season any Raven has ever had. The second best is probably Jim Leonard, by the way, in terms of the defensive side of the ball. Of course, Flacco on the offensive side of the ball had the great one in 2012. But just to review what Ray did in 2000, he had two PDs, an interception, seven tackles against Denver. He had the game-sealing interception and uh, strip of Eddie George. That, that's uh, one of the best plays of Ray Lewis's career. That's the one it, you're going to see this weekend. We'll see it a lot this weekend, I don't doubt. We, we want to hit on all, as many plays of these as we can because I've got a bunch of right. obscure well, ones. That's that one of my favorite. And Oakland, he had a big game, two passes defense. He had a big fumble recovery that set up the Ravens' final score. And then against the Giants, his numbers were fairly modest. He had five tackles, but the Giants gave up on running the ball very early in that game, and they hardly completed any passes in the game as well. So there there weren't a lot of tackles to go around. But what Ray did impressively that game is he took it over in terms of getting his hand on the football in that first half, had four passes defensed. One of them was intercepted by Sharper. He had a late fumble recovery. Uh, that set up another field goal, and he walked off as the Super Bowl 35 MVP one year after the events in Atlanta, and uh, it was a great comeback story in 2000. If you if you hate Ray Lewis, you there it's just misery. And but uh, but f- for fans of Ray Lewis, for people who like to see redemption, it was a it was a great turnaround. Yeah, and right there are people that still hate, and, and they'll bring all that up. But the the po- I like your positive spin there at the beginning that. When you look at that, when a player, we see guys go through bad spots all the time. But the way Ray Lewis has turned around and like the, the guy from that night looks nothing like the Ray Lewis of today. And that's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah, it, it, it's very much true. And, and I think, you know, Ray's, 
he's inspired a lot of people with the way he acts, and he's certainly inspired a hell of a lot of football players to follow him over the years. Uh, he, I think he's been a good mentor to players, if not just a leader by example. Uh, and, you know, one of the guys who does not get a lot of credit for this is Shannon Sharp, because I think Shannon spent a lot of time with Ray while he was going through this hellish nightmare in the offseason in, in terms of getting tried and, and uh, uh, working out with Ray during that time. And I think, you know, Ray certainly probably views Shannon as one of his closest friends in football, I would guess. And, uh, and, and he had a lot to do with turning around Ravens history with what he did. Yeah, and I guess he's the Super Bowl MVP in 2000. That's pretty rare for a defensive guy, let alone a linebacker, to win MVP, right? Yeah, it does not happen often. It's happened four or five times now in the in the history of the game. That's that's exciting. Um, they they build on that with another competitive season, make it into the playoffs. But uh, and Ray played a ton, right? Yeah, Ray only missed one snap in 2001, and the the Ravens were in a lot of closer games in 2001. They didn't have the massive number of blowouts they had during the 2000 regular season when they were thoroughly dominated. In fact, they had a minus two turnover differential in 2001. That was not the defense's fault. The off they had fewer turnovers, but the offense had a bunch of turnovers. And there was Elvis Gerback's year in Baltimore, and uh, the running game fell apart for various reasons during the year. Uh, the offensive line wasn't very good. So it was a, it was a combination of... of things that, that, that came together at one time and, and gave that 2001 team troubles, but they did close well. They, they, they figured out how to win games at the end, and a lot of that was, was Ray and the defense in general figuring it out. Um, you know, from a personal perspective, I think his 2001 season was every bit as good as 2000, but the team around him was definitely not quite as good. And, uh, and that's a shame. And part of what Ray has done over the years is lifted the value of the players around him. And uh, the, the 2001 defense was just not quite as good as the 2000 team. Right. And then, like you said, lift the players around you. What we really learned in 2002 was how much of a player coach Ray Lewis was. I, I want to go back one second. Yeah. because one more, one more game I wanted to point out in 2001. The Ravens had had 50 consecutive games without a 100-yard rusher. When Cincinnati came to town in late 2001, it was in, it was in December, might have been right around Christmas time, December 23rd rings a bell. But it'd been it'd been three years, including playoffs, it'd been 50 straight games without a without a, a hundred yard rusher. And Corey Dillon rushed for 127 yards in that game. Despite that, the Ravens won 16 to nothing, which is, by the way, an ex extraordinarily rare exacta. A running back runs for 100 yards, and the team gets shut out. Very, very rare. Uh, so anyway, the, the Ravens won that game 16-0. Ray Lewis had two interceptions for the second time in his career, returned him for 94 yards. Both times he, he shut down drives, obviously, and uh, and contributed to scoring. And it was one of those games that just it, it, it personified the bend-but-not-break defense that the Ravens played under Ray uh, for a lot of those years. And Ray himself, I think, got better as the action got closer to the goal line. It, it was never more true than in the last game of his career, which we'll talk about later. But, uh, but that team always had a way of finding a way to dig in close to the goal line. Right. So the next season, Ray Lewis gets hurt. That's right. So he's, he's actually off to one of the best starts of his career. The, the third and fourth games of the season... Uh, were two of his best games consecutively he's ever played. The game against Denver was on Monday Night Football. The Ravens ran up a 31-3 lead at the half on the come-out party for Todd Heap. Ray Lewis's incredible block on Chris McAllister's 108-yard uh, or 107-yard uh, field goal return, and or missed field goal return. And everything went right for the Ravens that night. The next week, Ray completely dominated in a game the Ravens were leading 20 to nothing when he fell on a fumble and hurt his shoulder. And he effectively missed the rest of that season. He came back for one game against Miami, but he effectively lost the rest of that season when he was absolutely playing at the peak of his, of his abilities. The one thing I'll remember most about that season, though, is Ray Lewis on the sideline. A lot of people, they don't hang around the team to rehab, or maybe they'll come around on game day. Ray Lewis was there. And he was jumping up and down on that sideline. He could not be more excited to cheer for his team and, 
and be happy for them when it came off, take players aside, do all the things that Ray Lewis does uh, to keep those guys in the game. And he almost willed them into the playoffs from the sideline that year. They fell a game short when they lost to the Browns on the second to last week, and they allowed a long drive from the four-yard line for a touchdown to, to Tim Couch, of all people. And uh, I, I have to feel that would have been different with Ray Lewis on the field. Yeah, and that was just the start of that whole Ray Lewis will in the team. We, we've seen that, especially as we'll get to his final year, where he willed that entire team. Um, all right, so move on. He's back. He's healthy. Next season, he plays almost all of his – he misses 25 snaps, 97% of his snaps, and he wins Defensive Player of the Year. Yes, yeah, so it, it was arguably his greatest year, either 2000 or 2003. They're both great years. Um, the core of that 2003 defense already had gotten their first playing time, which was one of the nice benefits of the 2002 cap purge, is that they got a lot of playing time in 2002. And it was all the great people you think of being on those defenses for about four years in there. There's Bart Scott and Kelly Gregg and Adelis Thomas and you know, Ed Reed, <laughs> for starters, getting getting uh, time. Gary Baxter, you know, Will Demps. Whole lot of people were around for a number of years with the Ravens, but in 2003, things immediately came together for that defense, and they were dominant again. You know, one one of the things I read that year was the Ravens play defense better than anybody else does anything, and they really were the the uh, one-dimensional team of extraordinary historic portions. Because on the other side of the football, they had Jamal Lewis running for 20, 2,066 yards, and Kyle Bowler, as a rookie quarterback, um, basically went in the bed every week. So he, he, he played eight weeks of very poor football, got hurt. Uh, Wright came in and finished the season for the Ravens. He didn't play badly, got him into the playoffs. Uh, but it was the defense that dominated that team. And one game that people remember that year, I've got a couple of memories from that year, but Jamal Lewis had a 295-yard game. Now, what does it take to have a 295-yard game rushing? you got to get the ball a lot. You got to get the ball a lot, and you have to keep the opposing defense tired to have one guy run for 295. Well, that defense played an enormous role in continually getting the ball back for Jamal, and he would wear that defense down on a few carries, and all of a sudden he'd break one for 75 yards, and he had three big, big runs in that game to to contribute to 295. It really reminds me of what a team effort that 295-yard game was. And then a lot of people remember the Seattle game from that season as being the greatest comeback in Ravens history. They had, they had a 44-41 to 41 overtime win where they scored the last 20 points from being down 17 with about seven minutes to go. So uh, a big part of that, with four minutes and 30 seconds left in the game, the Ravens had a big third down play. Adelis Thomas was flagged for a face mask, and it gave the Seattle a first down that appeared to close it out effectively. They had to run two minutes off the clock. You know, they'd, or they used all the Ravens' timeouts, and effectively the Ravens down 10 at that point wouldn't have had a chance to catch up. Ray tapped Thomas on the head. as an accountability thing, but there's also kind of an I gotcha in, in how he did that, you know, meaning I got your back. The very next play, Max Strong, the fullback, ran up the middle. Ray Lewis, I can only say like an octopus because it seemed like that's the kind of strength that Willie had, just ripped the ball out of Max Strong's hands in the hole. And that turned the game around, and Ravens got the ball. They drove up the field, included a completing, completed fourth and 28 pass. We could talk for an hour about all the things that happened in that Seattle right. game. Uh, but, but anyway, they ended up winning that game, and, and that forced fumble and recovery by Lewis on Max Strong is one of the, one of the plays I'll take from his career as being very, very special. Uh Neat. This is that 2003 is about when I start really focusing on the Ravens. That's where I start mm -hmm. to remember uh, games and and watching uh, watching games and exactly where I'm at. That's these huge plays were happening, and I remember the next season was all about Ed Reed, but Ray Lewis Ed, was still there, still doing just as well. Yeah, Ray was still a very dominant defensive player. Ed Reed had one of the greatest seasons of all time and won the Defensive Player of the Year. Nine picks, 358 return yards, but Ray was still doing it all. And uh, a lot of things I remember about that year, but I'm going to bring up one in particular, is 
the Ravens participated in a game against the Jets at the Meadowlands, and it was the first incarnation of what would later be Sound FX, the regular mic'd up segment they do uh, on on games throughout the NFL. Except right. for this game, they did a special game of the week where everything was people at the stadium. So it was a lot of coaches were mic'd up, players were mic'd up, and uh, uh, they had. Let's see, both announcers for the radio were mic'd up as well. So they were kind of the, the the closest thing to narration you had, but they were all there. Nobody was actually narrating after the right. fact and and retelling the story. It was okay. all the story told in real time. So anyway, a lot of things you know people remember from that. One of them was Herm Edwards uh, gasping in horror as Lamont Jordan, who was a running back, uh, did a halfback option and threw an interception to Ed Reed that started the comeback. Basically, he ran it all the way back. But he's, his, you know, his last words were something like, "No, that's Ed Reed." <laughs> and right. and uh, Ray in that game had a very interesting run-in with Nolan, the uh, the uh, uh, defensive coordinator. He Nolan was in the in the in the box, and he did not coach from the sidelines. But he had Mike Singletary, you know, the Hall of Fame linebacker from the Bears, on the sideline. He was a linebacker's coach for the Ravens that year. In any case, uh, Ray Lewis was getting the call on his helmet, and he was giving it in the huddle and then critiquing it. So, you know, he would say, you know, you know, Panther, Panther Blitz 30 or whatever, and and he says they're gonna, they're gonna, whatever, you know, they're gonna pass. And he, he wanted to have some other call. Well, no one got on him about that. Or no one didn't directly get on him. And no one told Singletary, I want you to get on Ray directly and tell him he's got to sell that play in the huddle. He can't be second-guessing me in the huddle. He needs to sell that call. And Singletary's immediate reaction was, I can't do that. And it was even a Hall of Fame linebacker like Meg Singletary couldn't stand up to Ray and tell him that he needed to act a certain way which was really odd, I thought, at the time. And then Singletary did actually talk to him, and and Ray took the criticism fairly well and said, I got you, I got you, and you know, didn't react to it in any negative way anyway. But it was interesting to me that even Mike Singletary did not feel like he could tell Ray Lewis how to act on a football field. Well, I think Ray Lewis on the football field is a little different than Ray Lewis on the sidelines. If he's out there and I'm in his ear, I'm, I might be a little scared to try to critique him. Yeah, uh, it's. I, I think that's where Mike Singletary was. I don't know what he was really fearful of, but uh, but anyway, he he uh, he didn't want to have that conversation, and uh, and I guess I understand it. The Ravens had a disappointing year. Uh, they they started seven and three. Uh, they looked to be in great shape after that Jets game. I want a key tiebreaker, but they lost a twenty to three lead to the Bengals. The defense played a part in blowing that league, obviously in the fourth quarter, and they they finished two and four. Uh, which left them at home for the playoffs, and, and a, a darn shame because that was a talented team. But the bowler years were uh, were really hurting at this point. Yeah, and the bowler years continue for a little bit longer. Um, it's it's funny because it does feel like we're telling the history of the Ravens when really we're focused on one guy. We're focused on Ray Lewis, and that's how much he means to this organization. There's a reason that he is the statue outside of M&T Bank Stadium. Him and Johnny Unitas, because those guys really mean so much to football in the city. Yeah, I mean they they certainly embody the team, and Ray is uh, uh, he's such a central figure in everything that's happened year by year, and all the decisions have been made by the Ravens. It's uh, Unitas was that way with the Colts, uh, you know. In some ways, by about 1970, some of the coaches were kind of fed up with the way Unitas, you know, really was the prism through which everything needed to be viewed, but. Uh, uh, you know, Ray, it's, uh, I think he was more beloved and more understood for, for, uh, for his entire career in this case. Oh, and I think, he, I think people still critique the Ravens to Ray Lewis. And I think they yeah. always will, at least in my lifetime. Um, next year is kind of a down year for him. He gets hurt again. He only plays in like six games, 2005. Yeah, the big change was was Rex Ryan came to town, and Rex and Ray I think got along very well. Uh, uh, Nolan was there for three years. I couldn't tell you much other than the one run in in two thousand four, but but Ryan and Ray I think got along very well. Um, the Ravens finished six and ten. Ryan did some extraordinarily 
uh, avant-garde things in 2005 to make up for a bunch of defensive backfield uh, injuries, including going to only three defensive backs, which probably hadn't been done for about 25 years before then. The standard defense had been the four defensive back uh, unit, and that's now kind of the minimum number of defensive backs you see on the field today, unless it's a goal line situation or a, a short yardage situation. Um, if you go back to about 1970 or 75, a lot of teams were playing three defensive backs as a standard alignment. And, uh, and the 2005 Ravens were able to get away with it because they had a Dallas Thomas. So, uh, you know, there were other players, there were other great players playing with Ray a lot of this time, but some of Ray's ability to cover also played a part, also Bart Scott's, uh, in, in terms of being able to play with, with fewer in the secondary and get away with, uh, with Ryan's scheme there. But anyway, a, a tough year. He missed, he missed most of that season anyway himself. Uh, and uh, and it broke up a string of pro balls and all pros that he had had. Yeah, but then finally, that's the last Kyle Bowler year. We get rid of Kyle Bowler. We can move on. Steve McNair comes to town. So the offense is automatically improved just by position change, even before they take the field. But the defense starts to become the Rex Ryan defense. Right. It was, it was an addition by subtraction component. I, I, I hate to contradict, but Bowler's actually around for two more years. And it's funny because oh, okay. in 2006 – Bowler, as a replacement for McNair, played much better. He only he played about four games. He actually won the game that gave the Ravens the defensive, that gave the division title, and had a quarterback rating of over 100. So if you ever have the, the question come up as who's the only quarterback in Ravens history to have a 100 rating, it's actually Kyle Bowler in that year. So Unbelievable. Yeah, it really is unbelievable. <laughs> but it was, there was tremendous addition by subtraction by getting Bowler out of there in 2006, nonetheless, and replacing him with McNair, even though McNair wasn't great. And uh, Lewis had another very fine year, even though he missed two games, but that defense was so stacked top to bottom with players having their best years. Scott, Price, Landry, Adelis Thomas had by far his best year in 2006. It was a contract year, unfortunately, and the Ravens lost him. But uh, a whole bunch of players were having their best things. Ryan had probably his best year as a coordinator with the organized chaos scheme in terms of sending people from everywhere. And everything he did that year in terms of blitzing worked. It's, it's you know, what we'd love to see again if we really thought we had the personnel for it here in Baltimore in terms of a aggressive attacking scheme. And it's a lot of what a lot of people hope uh, uh, Wink Martindale will be. Now, after that, Despite that great season, they still lost that game to the Colts in the playoffs. The most disappointing loss in my lifetime as a fan. So after the 13-3 and season, it was not on the defense. The defense absolutely shut down Manning in that game. Manning had a rating of in the 30s, I believe. And uh, Colts were held to just five field goals. But a lot of people remember just how inept and impotent the Ravens' offense was in that game. The one big scoring opportunity they had near the end of the half, McNair threw an interception in the end zone, uh, in the red zone, and they uh, they didn't generate much offense. Otherwise, a couple picks by Ed Reed they couldn't really cash in on, and they ended up losing that game 15-6. to But uh, definitely one of the frustrating games in, in my lifetime. Uh, and to have that game at home when it was all set up for the Ravens then to play the next week in the AFC Championship game at home was just pulling the rug right out from under us. Yeah, that that was the, I guess that was when we had a, a little stretch of those where where it seemed like every year something quite didn't work out. Um, well, again, uh, next year, where are we at? We're at 2007. Yeah. So Ray Lewis plays well, but a whole lot of injuries team-wide. That's right. So it, it, the big thing is, the 2007 season, I, I hate even thinking about the thing because I call it the secondary of dying men. In truth, they lost all their edge rushers too that year. Uh, most notably, Trevor Price went down with an injury. Um, and they lost, they had Antoine Barnes and they had a bunch of second, second tier guys. Lewis played very well and he, he earned his ninth Pro Bowl selection already in 2007. So very, very few people have ever gone to nine Pro Bowls. But uh, Lewis was certainly not done at this time. And uh, it's just a shame that they wasted a year of his late prime in 2007, I'll call it, um, with a team that could have been very good, but, uh, but lost uh, everybody in the secondary and just could no longer compete. And they, by the end of the year, they had a street corner named Willie Gaston who kind of embodies that season, as I recall it, 
uh, in terms of just how weak they had they had become in terms of what kind of secondary talent they had to dip into. Right. Um, 2008, we draft Joe Flacco and Ray Rice. Again, it's Ray Lewis, but he's so entwined with the Ravens that bringing in these new rookies is part of his story. You know, it's interesting because 2007 to 2008, the team completely turned it around, obviously. The 2008 team went 11-5. and five. They made a deep playoff run before they finally lost at Pittsburgh, and they made two offensive draft picks. So the defense is what really came back and played at an astoundingly high level, and it's all the same guys who came back from 2007. So McAllister is back and healthy again, and, and Samari Roll and Washington are back, and they had uh, you know other guys... Uh, Bart Scott was back and had a big year. Um, they had, uh, uh, try to think here, Terrell Suggs obviously had a big year in 2008. And then Ed Reed had probably, if not the best, it was almost as good a season as he had in 2004. Uh, it was just an extraordinary year in terms of turnovers and uh, made big play after big play. Ray was a huge part of the defense still, no, still playing at a very high level. But by 2008, he really no longer had the speed to cover. What he then had to really convert to, and this is like like a pitcher losing his good fastball. He's got to learn how to adapt to doing other things well, throwing other pitches, maybe whatever it would be. But Ray became a terrific reader of quarterbacks, and he really understood the play behind him very well. So he could see the route combinations, you know, use your peripheral vision, and you, and you see – where, how the receivers are stacked, you see their initial move. He knows the route combinations, then he knows where the passing lanes are. And then he, he did a great job of reading quarterbacks, moving in the lanes from that point on in his career, no longer relying as much on his on his athletic ability to cover, but still in, impacting the passing game significantly by his ability to figure out, oh, it's a screen pass, diagnose that, or, oh, you know, this this is going to end up in the middle of the field and I can make a move on this. Ray is one of a very few players who will take a false step to deep the quarterback, particularly of players that are not safeties. Safeties are known to do it, uh, to deke a, a quarterback into thinking they're going one way and going the other. Ray, Reed was the master of it, but Ray Lewis is one of a few linebackers who's really been able to do it. And the other guy in Ravens history who now is still on the team is Terrell Suggs, has some of that style in his own game. He's had a couple right. of peekaboo interceptions that have been, uh, been interesting. But Ray oh, Lewis' ability to do that is, is great. I, I would bet that Suggs credits Ray Lewis with a good amount of that teaching him and, and pro- following pro- his leadership with that. Probably does. But uh, 2008, it is also John Harbaugh's first year with the Ravens. But you mentioned Ray Lewis getting older and not as fast. He could still hit hard. 2008, I remember, is when he hit Richard Mendenhall from the Steelers and fractured his, uh, I think it was his shoulder or collarbone, something up there. And, yeah. the, and the doctor said, this isn't a football injury. This looks like a car accident. <laughs> yeah, that was, that's a big hit. And that's a, that's certainly a hit that people remember from Ray Lewis's career. Okay. So the, you mentioned the Mendenhall hit, and that's a great example. Uh, t- two years later against the Jets, and I forget the tight end's name. It's going to drive me nuts if I can't remember. But he had a hit uh, coming over the middle that became the NFL's poster hit for what the hardest possible clean hit on a receiver was and he absolutely flattened the guy uh middle of the field pad to the middle of the chest and it was the one the nfl said great player great clean hit this is what we want right and uh, that's one of the ones i remember with the way football has changed the past few years do you think ray lewis would still be able to get away with these hits you know, I think Ray, honestly, was never a big helmet guy. I mean, if, if he was, he'd probably have a lot of concussions himself True. like some of the linebackers have. But uh, but he generally avoided that. He was a very good form tackler. He had some ability to use his strength and leverage that were different from other linebackers I've seen. I, I, I remember him being able to almost flip up a ball carrier by lifting him early in his career, uh, it being something that we would see from time to time. He certainly knows where to hit a guy on his body to use his leverage most against him and get him down. So I've always been impressed about that. All right. Uh, we're on 2008-2008. Season ended in the in the playoffs, which ran this string of playoffs where we would just, would just, just heartbreak endings to each season. 2009, the offense is better, but it eventually gets to that same heartbreak at the end. 
Yeah, well, I mean, 2009, if we received his final All-Pro selection that year, and we Pro Bowl and All-Pro, the All-Pro was the bigger one. It was his seventh of his career. Uh, a lot of people remember the 2009 season in the second week, second week, third week, whichever it was, when they went out to San Diego and uh, and won the game. Ray Lewis on the fourth and two play flattened Darren Sproles in the backfield for a loss. Uh, and, he, you know, he said he knew exactly what they're going to do, this cutback draw. And the entire, it was like a student body right play that they ran. And somehow Ray Lewis knew exactly how to navigate through these pulling guards and still take, take Sproles down as if they weren't even there. Uh, it's, it still amazes me to see that play again and realize what anticipation that took on Ray's part. But uh, definitely one of the nice ones. You mentioned the season did end poorly in Indianapolis, but it, it had a great wild card game in New England. And, and the Ravens started their run of really being the team that New England feared most in the playoffs in 2009 with that uh, devastating first quarter at New England where they went up 24 nothing. The defense could do no wrong, including a sack by Lewis. And ran up a 33-14 to 14, uh, uh, win that really was no, nowhere near that close. Right. Um, 2010, they, they had a very similar game with uh, the Patriots. And 2010 is a surprise when I'm reading through Ray Lewis' stats that that game he sacked Tom Brady, and it's the only time he's ever sacked Tom Brady. Was, was in, the, in the 2009 playoffs or, yeah, or 2010? The, uh, 2010 playoffs, so the next year. I think it had to be in 2009 in the playoffs because they didn't play them in 2010. They played they played Kansas City and then they lost to to Pittsburgh. You are correct. the The game date is 2010. Got that's it. why I got okay. it wrong. So yeah, it's the same 2009 that we're talking about. That is the only time that he has gotten to Tom Brady, which is crazy. Yeah, that seems odd. When they've that matched up so many times. Yeah, yeah. But, but we can move on to 2010. He again had his Iron Man season. Only missed seven snaps. Yes, that's right. So 99.4% of the snaps, he went to his 12th Pro Bowl. Um, I, I haven't talked about his individual tackle totals, uh, uh, but they remained high throughout his career. Um, they, they got lower as time moved on because the game became less about running and more about passing. So when you have that, you have a few passes that go incomplete. You have less total tackles, more tackles made by the secondary, and the linebackers play less of a part there. But that meant that Ray had to be still a factor in the passing game, and he still had that good lane instinct and the understanding of the play behind him, the incredible ability to diagnose a screen pass that, uh, that he was still impacting the game there. He had an interception in the game against the Chiefs. The Ravens finished 12-4 and again, and that team put together one of the greatest sequences of defensive plays in team history. They had a great sequence in Super Bowl 35, but they had 19 straight plays um, against the Chiefs in that 2010 playoff game in the 30-7 win where they just they devastated them. It's, it's worth going back if you're a guy who likes to reflect on that. Uh, the game is not out there anymore on NFL Game Pass, but it's, uh, it's a great game if you uh, want to reflect on it on uh, Pro Football Reference. Right, and the players voted him the fourth best player in the entire league when that's when the NFL network was kind of in their prime and pushing all these special things. Right. They so. started that. That was before it was before the 2011 season. So it's based on 2010, of course. And Ray was the fourth uh, best player in the league and Ed were the fifth and they were the two highest ranking defensive players. The other three were quarterbacks ahead of them. And uh, it, it goes to show you, you know, that even after his 15th season, the rest of his peers still had tremendous respect for him in that, in that, uh, vein now was that the correct choice at that time i don't know probably not but it, it it definitely showed the respect they still had from as a player and ray lewis at that point was still playing at a very high level in 2010 all right now we're getting on the downside of his career 2011 he makes the pro bowl again and is this his last pro bowl season 2011 that's right so his 13th and final pro bowl uh, the defense was outstanding again around him. They're 12 and four uh, as a team. And they finished third defensively for the third straight season, which was a, a great run in terms of Ravens history, um, and that's in points. Uh, the Ravens' defensive superstars. If you ever want to go back and watch one game, and it's still out there on NFL Game Pass right now, go watch the first game of the 2011 season. 
They beat the Steelers 35 to seven, and all four of the Ravens, you know, really big superstars. Some call, might call them the Mount Rushmore, but Suggs, Reed, Lewis, and Nada all had big games that game against the, the Steelers and contributed to most of the seven turnovers the, the Steelers had that game. And it was, uh, it was one of those games for the ages, and it's always the one that I'll keep and point to for, for people to remember the, the superstars of that era. Well, that, that's the team that, that, that goes to, brings you to the next season with 2012 with the, the next and most recent Super Bowl that we all remember. Okay, so we probably can't move on to 2012 until we first talk about the unpleasantness right. at the end of 2011. You've got to remind us of it. It, it is related and kind of sets it up from a low point, and then, you know, the, the, the dice, the events can happen. But the defense forced seven turnovers in those two games against Houston, New England, where he played a part, um, but they couldn't overcome that double gut punch at the end of the, the AFC Championship game at New England when Flacco had driven him down the field, Flacco to Bolden, Flacco to Bolden, you know, moved him down the field. They got within range, and Flacco threw the ball to Lee Evans. Evans couldn't hold on. He got stripped, and then Cundiff missed the field goal wide left. And all of a sudden, I'm pissed off and cursing and driving home. So, uh, yeah. uh, awful, awful time. Yeah, no. Uh, and, and things, you know, in Orioles' memory, it's, it's leaving Britain in the, in the bullpen that Buck cannot let down. In the Ravens' history, we cannot let down the Evans drop. Evans will always be known as, a, as the Raven that dropped the ball. Right. I think, I think the critical difference is, there isn't anything to redeem the uh, not bringing Britain into the ball game. The next season, well, you know, wasn't the magical season that turned everything around and made us forget it. All right, yes, you know, so. yes. Twenty twelve was magical, and twenty twelve. I love twenty twelve because when we talk about Ray Lewis, Ray Lewis gets hurt. He's not supposed to play anymore that year. Somehow he gets better. You got the. I'll let you get into all the details, but we got the deer antler spray. We've got. Him telling the team they're going to win the Super Bowl, he's going out on top. He wills that team and his own body to where to that championship. Yeah, I, it was it was just he's hurt hurt early on in the season against the Cowboys. Might have been week six, I think, against the Cowboys, the fifth game, and the NFL had just brought in a new single slot for a player to be designated for return from IR, and Ray Lewis was the obvious choice to to do it. They had to think about it a little bit because Ray's injury is very serious and, and uh, decide if they could maybe get him back in time. But he wanted to do it, and the Ravens obviously wanted him back. And before he returned, and he returned for that first playoff game, he announced he would retire after the playoffs. Um, his tackle total in that playoffs was outstanding. 51 tackles, by far his career high. But it really was a veil for a player laboring to the finish line with a very serious injury. In fact, he was really hurting the team in coverage. I'm sure he knows this. He wouldn't deny it. Um, they ran a lot of plays right at Ray Lewis uh, in the Super Bowl. Uh, well, we'll get to the Super Bowl in a minute. Before we get to the Super Bowl, we have the utter joy of the final playoff game against the Colts, exercising that demon, even though it's Andrew Luck and not Peyton Manning. You know, beating the Colts at home to eliminate them is an awfully nice thing. And you cap that off with Ray Lewis coming to the game in victory formation as the tailback. And I'll let you talk about your own memory of that specifically, but, but mine is Ray making sure that everybody knows he's an eligible receiver here. And the real reason, you know, thinking about this is he probably wanted to make sure it got announced over the, the uh, loudspeaker, as if everyone in the stadium right. wasn't already on their feet cheering for it. Right. Um, yeah, I think of 2012 also with the Ray Lewis no weapon formed against us. And, yeah. and that, to the point that I see... I see guys give presentations now, and they use Ray Lewis and that speech um, as just this definition of leadership. And this is how you lead a squad. And they yeah. use Ray Lewis as the example there. Right. I, I, Ray, Ray did a lot of really wonderful things. I think he did a lot of things on the football field to realign players, but getting them pumped up before a game was a big one, too. And that, that was a big one. The miracle at Mile High, you know, you remember him going down to his knees afterwards and, yeah. and saying no weapon. Uh, that fantastic second half of the AFC Championship game at New England, exercising all the demons from the, the 2011 loss there by throttling New England 21 nothing in the second half. That was the first time before that game, Belichick and Brady were 67-0 and leading at halftime at home. 
67 and 0. And that was the first time they'd ever been beaten there. And, the, and uh, Flacco and the defense both put on an amazing second half. It is rare to retire on top. And Ray Lewis got to do it. He got to go out not only on top as winning the Super Bowl, but on top as the leader of that defense. Not the old man that they wanted to get rid of, but the guy that they followed into battle. Right. It's, 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 it's such a well-textured game. I even have to talk about it in pieces here because Ray Lewis was having a very bad game. He was struggling in coverage, and the 49ers were picking on him. They ran a lot of crossing routes using Vernon Davis and Michael Crabtree both to try and isolate them one-on-one against Lewis and had given up four receptions for something like 75 yards in the game. And those were, you know, that was a way they were really getting at the Ravens and how they ran up some of their yardage in the, in the second half and the first as well. But, uh, but Vernon Davis at one point taunted Ray in that game earlier, and Ray didn't really have anything to say back to him at that point. But we mentioned earlier in the show a little bit that Ray Lewis and the Ravens' defense had a bend-but-not-break uh, Mentality is not the right word, but ability, I guess I would say, over the years. And they got much tougher towards the goal line. That's generally true in the NFL, I know. But I think it was even more true of of some of the Ray Lewis teams in terms of their ability to stop teams in the red zone. And Ray went out on top in a way that I don't think most people understand exactly how great his contribution was on the last three plays of his career of the super right the super bowl game of the super yeah. bowl so so it, it, you know we're going to talk about these individually because each one to me is a little microcosm of how ray lewis impacted a football game but uh, if you remember the ravens ravens had a uh lead of five points at the time well, and frank, frank and was, Gore, even more than that the ravens jumped out in the game to a big lead yeah. we got the blackout that everyone remembers and then mm-hmm. at the, after that blackout, things were looking bad for the Ravens. That's and, true. And they had a lot of people injured, including Elodie Nada, right. and they're making a big we comeback, yes. Ravens were looking tired. Uh, a big return to start the ha- second half. Suddenly the 49ers were right back in this, and it's a five-point game. Yeah. So it's a, a five-point game, and Frank Gore had just run for 50 yards to set them up at the eight-yard line. They ran a three-yard run on first down to set up second and five, and that's where the last three plays of Ray Lewis's career really begin. It's quarter four, two minutes remaining in the Super Bowl, and Ray's about to play his last three plays. So in the first of the three, he had responsibility for Vernon Davis to jam him at the line of scrimmage, and he appeared to be Kaepernick's primary read. Red zone target makes sense to go to the tight end, but he jammed him, and then he slid back to pass him to Ed Reed and then ran to the right sideline to set up containment for Kaepernick. And if you remember, Kaepernick killed the Ravens with his legs in this game, including one touchdown run. But when he got out of the pocket, it was, uh, it was trouble. But, uh, but Ray uh, ran to contain him there, and Kaepernick uh, threw the ball away incomplete on the right sideline. So that was, that was second down, and uh, Ray certainly made a big contribution to, to taking care of Davis and containing Kaepernick on that play. Third and five. So there's now a minute and 55 left in the game. Before the snap, Lewis realigned Pollard, who was on the wrong side, to the offensive right side, where he was able to pick up Delaney Walker, who is a, a big multi-purpose player, still is, but, but for the uh, 49ers that year. And Lewis moved to cover Frank Gore. Now, here's the significance of that. The, the 49ers ran a route combination that would have cleared out a zone where Frank Gore would have been the fourth receiver to go through there. It is almost always a deadly play if, if they get to the second or third option for the quarterback. So that running back will almost always be open when that zone is so well cleared out. But Ray Lewis played very disciplined football. He stayed on Frank Gore. Kaepernick was forced to go to the sideline where Crabtree caught the ball and Jimmy Smith absolutely destroyed him and caused him to release that football. Uh, that was one play where the Ravens were very fortunate not to have a helmet-to-helmet hit called. If you could ever say, I don't want one call, right. it would have been there. But it was Ray Lewis's coverage of Frank Gore that really forced the ball elsewhere on that play. Yeah, those are plays. It's been six years since going on seven. This will be the seventh season since that Super Bowl. And I have not gone back to watch that because these final five minutes of the game are some of the most stressful experience I've ever had watching a football game. 
So now we're fourth and five. Uh, they're still at the five-yard line, obviously, with 150 to go in the game. And this was a big play because Kaepernick uh, was going to look for a red zone target somehow, obviously, and it wasn't clear. He might have he might have rolled out to do something, but the Ravens did a little bit of a gamble here. Um, they, they crept Ray Lewis up to the line of scrimmage. Lewis um, rushed the A-gap between the left guard, who was Ayapati, and the center, Goodwin, and he got Ayapati's shoulders turned. And honestly, Ayapati probably should not have picked up Lewis, but he bit on it, and... Suggs was picked up by Staley on the outside, and that left Danelle Ellerby free to rush unblocked for the game-winning pressure that forced Kaepernick to throw the ball away. And even had uh, uh, you know the contact not occurred between Jimmy Smith and uh, and uh, Crabtree in the end zone, that ball would have been overthrown anyway. And uh, it was it was Ellerby's pressure that did that. But he had a lot of help from his veteran friend Suggs and Lewis on the A-gap blitz. So Lewis, a big contribution on each of those three plays, not necessarily the most visible, but it was his play on each of those plays uh, that played an important role in, uh, in finishing it out. For my money, it's the greatest three-play sequence to ever end a career in any sport. You know, we talked about, about Ray, uh, the, the best baseball finish ever. A lot of people would argue is Ted Williams homering in his last at-bat. Um, Ted Williams homering in his last at-bat against the Orioles for a seventh-place team with three games left in the season, an inning left in the in the game when the Red Sox uh, won an inning later with would have been him on deck, but he had already been pulled after the home run. So it's not quite the same as having three plays in the Super Bowl, which meant everything right. uh, to finish your career. No, it is. And a lot of times when you look at career-ending plays, you look at career-ending seasons, and you look at mm-hmm. some of the magic Cal had his final season. But you don't look at three plays that take place within a minute of game time less than a minute what is that uh two minutes to one minute 50 yeah oh it's, the it's final 15 seconds 15 or so. seconds yeah. Of, yeah. of game clock that he's play and to be that great yeah it's it's amazing and ray lewis is clearly the greatest raven ever but how does he line up like when you when people look at him against other linebackers other defensive guys of the of the past Okay, so it's an interesting question you bring up because obviously a lot of old-timers romanticize the linebackers they grew up with, whether it was Butkus or Nitschke or Lambert who played between the 50s and 70s. Um, in, In some ways, there's not a lot of available information from those eras because defensive stats were not as well developed as they are today. Uh, but we can look at things like peak value and awards and whatnot as reflections of how much the writers and players of those eras respected those players. Uh, If you're looking at any adjudication of relative value, Ray Lewis usually wins if longevity is involved. So it would have to be something like peak value as an individual for Butkus to to win such a thing. And he won a Defensive Player of the Year in 1969 with a 1-13 team, which is an impressive uh, thing to be able to do. In 1970, he won a different version of the Defensive Player of the Year award. They had both of those awards uh, preceded the AP award, which is the current award. So 1970 was the Pro Football Writers, and 1969 was something else, and I've, I've forgotten the exact name of the award. Butkus was five times an All-Pro, eight times a Pro Bowler in nine seasons, uh, Ray has the same two DPOY awards, but they were, of course, achieved in a 32-team league or a 16-team conference, um, a 32-team league for Defensive Player of the Year, and uh, 13 Pro Bowls and seven All-Pro selections. Uh, he's played in a more balanced era of football when he's had to be great against the run and the pass, and in fact, that even kind of morphed as he went through, and in a lot of ways, it morphed in the wrong direction for him because... As he got older, he needed to be a better coverage guy and could rely less on his great run-stopping skills. And unfortunately, that's not the direction you want to go. You probably want to rely on your coverage when you're young and and rely on your run-stopping when you're older and less mobile. So in terms of peak value, I think you could could maybe make the case for Butkus, but in terms of career value, it just isn't close. The biggest difference here is games played. Dick Butkus played 119 NFL games. Ray Lewis played 249 more than twice as many, 228 in the regular season, 21 more in the playoffs. And that would end the conversation for me, but there is another critical element, and that is 
leadership. How did how do we measure that? You know, what do we what do we do with the, with that component of 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 the thing? And I I look at it a, a few different ways. Raised teams never allowed four yards per carry. Dick Butkus's teams had a combined record of 48, 74, and 4, uh, 397. Now, that's more than 121 games because I'm including games that Butkus missed due to injury in that. But they, they were a 397 team in the Butkus years. Ray Lewis's teams, meanwhile, were 150, 121, and 1, a 551 winning percentage during the regular season. Now, we can add to that that Dick Butkus's career playoff record is a perfect 0 and 0. Ray Lewis played 21 career playoff games and went 14-7. and seven. So uh, among the best records ever. There are some Patriots probably who have better records, maybe a few 49ers, but he's among the best ever. And the Ravens franchise still has the best ever record in playoff games at 15-8. and eight. So uh, the point I'd make about this is I, while Ray Lewis multiple times had to elevate a defense to make up for a lousy offense and a lousy quarterback situation. Um, Dick Buckus was never able to do that with the Bears. They had a good defense, but he was never able to have that defense overcome the lousy offense that they had. So, you know, if I was to summarize this, I'd say that Dick Buckus was never able to elevate a defense to the level required to make the playoffs when there was a lousy offensive situation. And Ray did that multiple times, and I think more than that, Ray kept his defenses from blaming the offense. You know, he, he would always say, you know, saddle up, you know, get his guys on the field after the Ravens had another three and, three and out on offense. And I, I don't think they ever really got to the point where there was finger pointing between the offense and defense in the way there could be, uh, particularly in a losing situation. And twice, you know, multiple times, he, he overcame a bad quarterback situation to get to the playoffs. And one of those was a Super Bowl win in 2000. So uh, Ray Lewis, from a leadership perspective, from a career value perspective, certainly way ahead of all the other linebackers all time. And in terms of peak value, I think you could make the case for a couple other linebackers that they were as good as Ray, but I don't think there were any any better. No, and I, I always, whenever you try to do this at any sport where you try to compare a previous generation to a current generation, it's always so hard because the game has changed over those years with more teams, more players, all of the current players learned from those previous generations. So it would be hard for even a young Dick Butkus to go and perform in the NFL today. Oh, it'd be impossible. He'd be way undersized. And, right, exactly. And, uh, uh, too slow and a lot of other things. But, but what yeah. you missed in all of these comparisons between Butkus and Ray Lewis is you didn't give Ray Lewis any points for the squirrel dance. And, and <laughs> we, we talked about his entire career and you didn't bring up the squirrel dance. I'm hoping yeah, so, we get to see that. We're going to date it a little bit at this podcast because I'm saying I'm hoping we get to see it one more time in a few days. Yes, that'd be fun from the, from the, from the podium. Right. So Ray Lewis is a special player. We're all looking forward to his speech. Uh, it's going to be long, so sit down and get, be prepared for it. It's going to probably be longer than this podcast um, if they allow that. But I think one thing also, as you were talking about Ray Lewis and all that leadership, is the fact that he is still influencing the football players now, six years later, after he retired. Yeah, I, I think so. I think there are a lot of players in the NFL who would be interested in hearing this speech. I, I know I, I, of, of Ray and Ed and Terrell Suggs, I want to hear all their speeches, but I want to hear Ray's, and I really want to hear Terrell Suggs as well, because I think it's just going to make you laugh and cry, too, when it, when it happens. So and but enjoy this moment. They don't come along all the time. The Ravens are going to have three in fairly short succession here. But, you know, you don't get four in 22 years very often, and especially from a startup organization who's just making its first draft picks. To have their first two first-round picks go to the Hall of Fame is amazing. It's, it's special. And no need to go to church on Sunday, because you'll get your sermon here. There you go. So, all right, Ken, well, we're recording this before the Ravens play their Hall of Fame game. They do that tomorrow. Uh, we will get to see some of these young guys, a little Jamal Lewis, a little RG3, and um, we'll speak on this next week. Yep. All right, Ken, well, have a good night. Enjoy the Ray Lewis induction ceremony. All right, take it easy, man.
At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.